Katie. Good morning, everybody. I am Katie. Um, so this morning when I was going through my verse, my eight-year-old says to me, Mom, what are you doing? So I said, no, I'm going to go up and read this Bible verse. And she says to me, Mom, my teacher says do it with expression. So I'm going <laughs> to try my hardest to do it with the most expression that I can. Okay, this morning I'm reading from John 14, 15 to 21. If you love me, oh, hold on. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and bring with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Thanks, Kales. Think your daughter's going to watch that on YouTube and mark you afterwards. What do we? What should we give her, guys? Should we start with some? No, well, let's not go there. In my readings uh, this week, when I, I stumbled across uh, Luke chapter 11, as I sort of was just going through bit at a time, and um, uh, there's this amazing moment where Jesus is is doing what Jesus does best. He's healing people. He's preaching amazingly. He's bringing wisdom that is jaw dropping, and the world is increasingly going. Who is this man? And, um, you know, the, the likes on Facebook are going crazy. The reshares are amazing. The, the crowds are getting fuller and fuller in the stadium. And Jesus is just, he, he really is uh, like a whirlwind through, the, through Israel. And, and one moment happens where basically this lady, um, she must be a kind of elderly lady. I just have this vision of, of a, a sort of uh, elderly-ish lady. She shouts out into the crowd uh, up towards Jesus. She says, blessed is the mother who gave birth and nursed you. It's almost like, uh, you know, sometimes you have those moments where you do something fairly okay and a person comes up and goes, your parents must be so proud of you. And uh, as a parent, you start to realize when you watch people do things, you're like, their parents must be so proud of them. And this lady in kind of ancient Jewish uh, way goes and says almost the same thing. Blessed is the mother who gave birth and nursed you. And Jesus has what I would imagine is one of his many mic drop moments where he, uh, he sort of looks at this lady. And Jesus is not often phased by people's uh, sentiment. You know, when people try to flatter him or make him feel extra special or whatever it is, he has these amazing ways of going, I'm, I'm not falling for that stuff. And he looks up at this lady who is making him feel like a million bucks. And, uh, and he says, you know what? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Amazing. Like he, he looks at this respectable person in society who's going, your mother must be so proud. And he goes, no, no. If my mother doesn't obey Jesus, she's, not, she, she's got nothing. If she doesn't obey the words of God, she is as helpless as anyone else. Sure, she might have had me as her child, but if she doesn't obey, she's just as lost as anyone else. 
She's just as sad. Her life and the way she lives is just as perilous as anyone else. It doesn't matter how connected you are to me biologically. If you don't obey the words of the Father, you are lost. And I found this affirmation as I'm reading through, as we're looking at the way of Jesus, and I'm beginning to prepare to preach on this concept of obedience. I find myself going, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And today, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at obedience. If we could go back to that slide we started with, the, the scripture. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. There's this amazing connection in Jesus' mind and heart where he says, a love for Jesus will eventually work itself out into an obedience towards him. It's like one in the same thing. In John chapter 7, Jesus seems to say it in a different way, but he says this, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. You see, Jesus was in a world which was actually had a similar philosophy to the world in which we live. What he's saying here is he's saying, if you choose to do the will of God, you will see the fruit of it and you'll go, that makes sense. And, and, and he lives in a world where the ancient philosophy taught this. I read this from one commentator. Ancient philosophy, if we could go to that slide, taught that only those who could understand could obey, i.e. they could live well, pleasing to God. In other words, they believe misunderstanding causes disobedience. But according to Christ, disobedience causes misunderstanding. Rather than knowledge of the truth leading to obedience, Jesus claims that whether a person is willing to obey God is what affects their ability to learn the truth. That's quite complicated, right? We're all like Western mindset going, education is the problem with the world. If we could educate people, they would all behave better, right? Oof, wrong. It doesn't seem to work like that. Uh, some of the most educated people led uh, some of the most perilous uh, regimes in the world. Hitler was very educated. Some, some highly educated people. Education doesn't produce a changed heart. And Jesus is harking back all the way to the beginning of Scripture where he realized that although Adam and Eve had full understanding of who God was, their hearts weren't there. Their hearts saw something else. Their hearts wanted something else. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying simply this, it, you're not going to simply obey just because, just because you've got understanding. No, actually, in your obedience, in your trust, you will begin to understand. It's him who has full understanding, and as we obey him, we will begin to develop greater understanding. I know that's kind of offensive. I'll spend the rest of the time trying to help you to get this, because what I'm also not saying, and nor is Jesus saying, that understanding is wrong. The church was the forerunner of education in the West. Hey, universities wouldn't exist if the church didn't exist. Hey, the, the church and, and Jesus himself loved to, to teach and to help people have understanding. What Jesus is saying here is he's looking at the Pharisee and he's, and he's saying, you think just because you understand stuff that your heart is going to change, that you'll be able to obey. And he goes, no, no, no. It doesn't work that way. He says, actually, it's in your obeying, it's in your acts of trust that you will begin to find you understand who I am, what I'm like, that what I say is actually true and trustworthy. It's quite tricky, right? But this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about obedience. 
Maybe a nice example would be for me to walk with you to the edge of a very, very high bridge, say something like uh, Storms River or one of those ones close by, and I say, hey, I've got this lovely uh, stretchy cord. It can handle the weight of a full car. So don't worry, it's really, really strong. And it's attached to this thing that can handle uh, uh, 10 tons of strength as well. Uh, people have been doing this for a long time, by the way, so don't stress. Uh, I'm going to tie it around your feet, and you're going to jump off this bridge. And the, 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 the rope is 80 meters, and the drop is 120, so there's no chance you're going to hit the bottom. I promise, it's all fine. So now that you're tired, jump, go. I've given you the understanding, right? The, the gap's right, the strength of the rope's fine. Off you go. Understanding doesn't do it. You need trust, you need time, you've got, to, you've got to watch, you've got to see the trustworthiness, your heart has to be in it, just to have the facts doesn't work. Jesus looks at the Pharisee and he says, you can't throw the facts at people, you need to trust in your obedience, you need to grow in an ability to, to trust and obey. You see, when it comes to obedience, we've probably just shrunk it down. I spoke a little bit about it last week, and we're in a series. If you're new to uh, the, the journey or you've just arrived back after the new year, we're in a series called The Way. And really, we're looking at the way of Jesus. And, and we're trying as a church to try to extricate ourselves, to pull ourselves away from simply living in a kind of churchified culture where you, you pitch up and uh, you make sure you do what the pastor tells you, which eventually gets kind of shrunk down to read your Bible, which is great. You must read your Bible and try to pray and then don't do anything really naughty or immoral and you're good. We're trying to pull ourselves away from that and realize that Jesus calls us to a whole new way, which he describes as the way of life. He describes it as the, the way of true flourishing. He says it's the only way that you really can live, and it impacts everything. And one of the entry uh, dynamics to this is to learn to follow him and obey him. I touched on it last week, and I want to double-click this week on the wonder of obedience. The problem is, is for obedience in Christianity, often we just think of obedience as, you know, don't do immoral stuff. There's a, a couple of things I just mustn't do to keep my nose out of a trouble of what Jesus uh, spoke of. You know, when Jesus is talking about obedience, he's understanding himself as a rabbi with his disciples. You see, a rabbi was a teacher. A rabbi was a person who said, come, take my yoke on you. My yoke was, his yoke was his teaching. Come and take my teaching. Take my way of life. Take my understanding of the world. Take my understanding of God and put it upon yourself and apply it in every single part of your life. I have a view of the world. I have a view of God that I'm inviting you to put onto yourself and begin to live accordingly. And he says, come and obey that way. Come into a world of obeying that way. Jesus calls us to the wonder of that kind of obedience, not to sin management. I think that's often what we look at obedience as. Just manage your sin. Don't get in too much trouble. That's not Jesus' idea. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writing, and he says, through him, he's talking about Jesus, and on behalf of his name, we receive grace and apostleship to call those among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Notice the descriptor of obedience there. The obedience that comes from faith, i.e., we obey because we have faith in God. Not the angry father who says, you cannot do that. If you do that, you'll be in trouble. The, the God of the gospel, 2 Thessalonians talks about obedience like this. He says, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
want you to focus for a moment. Obedience to the gospel. That's what Paul expects. That's what Jesus expects. When he says, I want you to obey, he, he's calling us to an obedience to the gospel. Now I want you to think about it. What is obedience to the gospel? Not obedience to the schoolmaster in heaven who's saying, don't, 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 I'm watching. Obedience to the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is God in Jesus Christ becoming present to us. So one of the ways we can obey the gospel is we can live in God's presence. We can obey the fact that God in his amazing love wants to be with us. That's obedience. You obey the gospel by simply saying, I don't live in isolation from God. I don't live as a kind of functional deist who thinks that God's you know, wound up the earth a couple of thousand or million years ago. He wound it up and, uh, and now he just watches the clock spin around down there. No real interest, he's distant from us and, uh, and really we just live our own lives. No, no, I, I can be in his presence. I obey the gospel because in Jesus, he has made himself present. In his resurrection, he said, wait, I'm gonna give you my spirit and now you can live in my presence. So obedience to the gospel is to live in his presence. It's also to live under his leadership and under his love. That's really to be formed into his image. You see, uh, what, what, what uh, we do when we baptize someone we often say, hey, when you're getting baptized, you, you go under the water, and, and in a way, you, you're submitting to Jesus. You're submitting in two ways. You're submitting to his leadership because he's king, and he gets to lead your life. But you're not just submitting to his leadership. You're also submitting to his love, his leadership and his love. And as you go under this water, you're not just engulfed in the, in the king who's in charge of your life. You're also engulfed in the one who loves you more than you could ever love yourself, who loves you more than anyone ever could, even though he knows you better than you know yourself. And as you get baptized, you come out of the water as a person with a new leader and a new way of being loved. You need to be obedient to that because it's gonna change the way you live your life. You've got a new identity. You're a child of God. You're no longer bound to the ways that you used to live. You're not afraid primarily of what your boss or your colleagues or your spouse says about you. You live under a new freedom because you've got a new identity given to you. You need to obey that because you need to be obedient to the gospel. You getting what I'm saying here? Obedience isn't just don't do the stuff that the angry guy might worry about. It's also that he came in the gospel and he said, I've given you this love. And Jesus said these words, all authority has been given to me. Now you go and make disciples. It's not just obedience to being loved, it's obedience to going and loving. Obedience to the sending God. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. I'm gonna speak mostly about that obedience today. Not because the other stuff isn't important, but we're gonna cover it in other ways on different days. But it's in this love, and, and really this is the vision that we have as a church to the living out the gospel. Presence, to be with Jesus. Let's move the, I feel like Tarzan here. Be with Jesus. This says 2023, by the way, because it hasn't changed from 2022. It's exactly the same, just a new, new year. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. It's in our formation. And then, and then go where Jesus goes. Love like Jesus loves. And really, the gospel is at the center. So if we're gonna be obedient, we're gonna be obedient to all of those. And how are we gonna do it? We're gonna do it together. The relationships we build in community are gonna be that, that oil, that grease, that, that makes sure that we live this out the way Jesus calls us to live it out. Does that sound good? Excited, eh? Wow. <laughs> Nothing like a group of people pumped on a vision. 
I know you are excited because it's Jesus, and I know that obeying Jesus is, is thrilling, and I know that we as a community have, have grown so much in catching what this really means. And, and the gospel isn't just a little love letter from heaven saying, if you, you know, if you trust Jesus, you can get to heaven. No, no, the gospel is an invitation into the presence of Jesus. It's an invitation into being formed into the image of Jesus. It's an invitation into loving the world like Jesus loves. It's a whole new adventure. That's what obedience is. And that's what we're gonna be called to today. That's what Jesus calls us to. I often think as a pastor, and I, and, and I sort of, uh, in my probably more lucid, clear moments, and, and, and this is a bit of a tangent, so I'm gonna go off there and then I'll be back in a moment. If I think three things that I think, if everyone, you know, sometimes people in our church, they, they wonder, especially, you know, January never, everyone's fantastic in January, Feb normally pretty good. It's when March hits that things start to get a little wobbly and, you know, then it's questions and is it really this and do I really believe that? And, you know, there's all kinds of issues that come about and, and we're human and life is tough. And I often think, you know, when it comes to just a life of, of, of trying to flourish, I, I say to Nick sometimes at the end of a long day, I go, you know, if people in our church, now I'm not frustrated, I love our church and I seldom do feel frustration, but I said if everyone in our church got these three things right, I honestly think we could, we could have half the issues that we face and half the, the internal struggles that we face. If, if everyone in our church, every day that they possibly could, woke up and had time with Jesus, reading the scriptures and praying and let Jesus read their hearts, it would be amazing just waiting for his voice in scripture, just being with Jesus just once a day and saying, Jesus, what have you got for me today? If we did that, if, if weekly we pitched up at Life Group and pitched up on Sundays, just every single week that we, we possibly could, as often as we could, just pitched up. Sunday, Sundays to, to sit under God's word and to hear his teaching, to realign our very uh, malleable, impressionable minds and to just get a fresh view on what the world is like. And on Wednesdays, to work it out in relationships so that we, we actually build some friendships with people who share the same thing because most of the rest of our days, we're not with people who believe that stuff. If we just put those rocks in our lives, so we go, okay, mornings, I wake up and I be with Jesus. Twice a week, I be with Jesus people on a Sunday and a Wednesday. And by the way, uh, Wednesdays, we only organize about 34 a year. So that makes there's about 18 left over to do whatever you want. We just do school term time. We say, hey, get there. It's like nine times four terms. Um, what's the math? 36. And we normally cut off one or two. So that's 30, 36 weeks to just be with God's people, sit under his word. And then here's the most unspiritual piece that I would suggest, is to eat and sleep and exercise. The amount of people, honestly, I think if you just went for a jog three times a week, you would have so much more joy in your life. I'm serious. Daily time with Jesus, weekly, twice a week, be with Jesus people, and just live healthy. Get enough, enough sleep, eat well, and exercise. And come back to me in six months' time. Sound good? Some skeptics out there, Yuri, are not convinced, but you and I, we'll do this thing. I say that mainly because I actually care, and I think as a pastor, we overcomplicate it. But if we could get the basics, my, my buddy Paul calls these long feedback loops. We often live in the short feedback loops, the, the quick fix, you know, I'm exhausted, I've had a long day, the last thing I need is to reflect on my day or to write in my journal, what I need is Netflix. But it's a short feedback loop. It, it gives you quick joy but it offers you nothing in two days' time, or two weeks' time, or two years' time. 
time with Jesus might give you little in the morning. You might wake up, pray, try to be with Jesus, feel a little like, oh, I tried. But in the years to come, having the scriptures saturated into your mind and your heart, there's the sense that it comes back. And you do that over and over and over. And you're putting investments miles down the line into your life. And unfortunately, we live in this short feedback loop culture. It says, give it to me now. I need the feedback and I want it immediately. And so our obedience, we obey the, the cultural rhythms of get the short feedback loop right now. But actually, Jesus says, come, why don't you invest in the long ones? Time with your spouse, chatting, having some meaningful conversations. Time with Jesus, where you're actually getting the word of God, the eternal stuff. It's going to come back. In years to come, you're going to say, I'm so glad that every day I woke up and I did that. Okay, Jesus is sending us. I want to talk about sending obedience. I told you there was a tangent. Will you permit me a tangent? Thank you. Hope it was a helpful tangent. But Jesus, I think there's three questions we can ask in obeying Jesus as he calls us into the world. From last week, to move away from a kind of boring, stale Christianity, to move into a Christianity that isn't about managing our sin. Three questions I want to suggest we ask. First one is, what's the Father doing? The second one is, where's the Father doing it? And the third one is, who's the Father doing it with? Jesus says in, uh, in uh, I think it's in John, uh, it's gone blank here. Let's go to it. There we go, 5 verse 19. He says, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. You want to obey God? You want to obey Jesus? Well, firstly, ask the question, what is the Father doing? I mentioned the fact that sometimes we're like functional deists in the world. We, we kind of go into the world going, I believe there is a God out there. I know he's interested, he created the world, but I don't think he's got much interest in my day today. I want to try and encourage you to turn that around today. To, to begin to think about the fact that every corner that you turn, each time you walk into a new space, there is actually almost like a, like a thin veil between heaven and earth. And, and in that veil are many holes. And that there is an opportunity in every space that you're in to kind of pierce that veil and for a, a shaft of the light of the kingdom of God to, to shine into that space. And that it could be you who could be that person who, who partners with the work of the Father. And that one of the big questions you could ask in your obedience is to ask this, what's the Father doing? Because then you wouldn't waste so much of your energy kind of doing all kinds of stuff when you aren't working with what the Father's doing. I love looking at Acts chapter 5. I don't know if you've read this and ever thought this, but in Acts chapter 5, Jesus has lived, he's, he's died, he's risen again, and now he's ascended to be with the Father. And now he's commissioned his church, and they're doing amazing stuff. They're doing the stuff we're doing this year. They're living the way of Jesus. They're doing the Jesus stuff, to use John Wimber's term. And they walk into the temple uh, at the, uh, through the gate. It's called the Gate Beautiful. And they see this crippled man. Think about it. A crippled man, a year or two, or probably even less than that, after Jesus has been on earth. Surely there weren't many crippled men in Jerusalem after Jesus. I mean, think how many places Jesus walked and he healed almost the whole thing. But it seems like he would have walked through this gate and he might have gone to and, and walked past this cripple and he probably greeted him warmly and said, how are you? And chatted to him because Jesus was so filled with love. But I imagine somewhere in his mind and his heart, he's going, Father, are you giving me this one? I imagine somewhere in his relationship with God the Father, I imagine he heard the Father go, no, no, I'm saving this one. 
This one's for John and Peter. John and Peter, they're going to heal this one. And so he walks past. He goes, oh, bless you, brother. God's got good stuff for you. And he carries on and he does his day. And a couple of months or years later, John and Peter, in the power of the Holy Spirit, see this beggar and they go, Father, what are you doing? What are you doing as we walk through? And they see this blind man and he says, can you give me some silver or gold? And they say, silver or gold, we don't have. But in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And they see something that the father's doing that he was doing in their time, in their moment. I'm not suggesting that every time we walk into a room, God's gonna heal a crippled person. But it may be that we take some time to discern and ask the question, God, what are you doing here? You're going to walk out of this place. Maybe a good example. You're going to walk out, and, and I hope that you don't rush off, because by faith you believe in community, even though it's awkward sometimes and difficult, and you knew we've got some great ways. You can drink coffee, you can eat burry rolls, you can hang out, and, and you're going to connect. But, but as you walk out, maybe you want to do this. Father, what are you doing? Not just, what, who's going to talk to me? Who am I going to love? Father, there's a sea of people in this place, but who are you working with? Hey, as I listen, I want to listen out for, for what you might be saying. I want to listen out to the way that you might love people because today I don't want to just be a kind of functional deist who believe you, you switched it on. I want to walk into the world and say, what are you doing, God? I want to partner with you. I want to bless people. I want to know what you're up to. There's generally two poles in, in Christianity. There's those who overly expect, like uh, there's some who believe that, for example, hey, God's going to heal and will heal everyone all the time. There's some who believe that, believe it or not. There's others who go, you know what? We shouldn't expect God to do anything. We should just live our lives, keep ourselves out of trouble, and, you know, sometimes tell people about Jesus and hopefully they get it right. We as a church live somewhere in the middle of that, <laughs> We believe that God is going to work often, and He loves to, and He's a Father who cares about people, and that each room we walk into is pregnant with possibility because He has put His Spirit in us, and we could discern something He's up to, and that He's called us to love people, that there's no boring place to be because the Father is at work in all these places. We don't know why He doesn't do something all the time. But we don't lose heart. We don't stop desiring to do good because Jesus is with us and he's commissioned us into this amazing adventure. I suggest two things as you ask the question, Father, what are you doing? I suggest observation, revelation. Observation means you just use your beautiful eyes that he's given you and you look around and, and you see, God, what are you up to? You don't look in and complain about your circumstances or why life is tough. You look out and you say, God, if life is tough for me, how much tougher might it be for them? What are you up to in this place? What are you calling me? Who are you calling me to love? That's observation. Revelation is you're waiting for a kind of sense of God to, to guide you. You're waiting for God to maybe highlight something or someone or a situation. That as you walk into your meeting, whether it's online or, 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 or in person, whether you're in your classroom, you find yourself going, God, what are you doing? What have you got for me today? Sometimes a person is highlighted, you just walk over and you greet them. You never greet them. You walk right across the classroom, all the way to the back. You give them a high five and you say, I've been thinking about you. How are you doing? That's it. You're trying your best to, to be aware, to ask the question, Father, what are you doing? Secondly, you ask the question, where is he doing it? Where is God doing this? Not what is he doing, but where is he at work? I love the story of uh, Jesus going to the well. 
He, the, the Samaritans and the, and the Jews did not get on well. There was this old, long, uh, hostile story. Basically, the Jews believed that the Samaritans had done exactly what God told the Jews not to do, was to sleep with other people from other nations and essentially worship other gods. And a bunch of the Jewish people went and did exactly that. And they had children with other people from other clans and tribes. And eventually, their faith became kind of contaminated with a whole bunch of other weird stuff. And so, you know, the, the, the Samaritans thought, this is, this is unfair. We've, we've still got Jewish heritage. How can you guys be so harsh? And so they were angry at that. The Jews think, how could you have ever gone and been such idiots and done that? We just can't trust you. And so they separated, and you would never go to Samaria if you were a Jewish person, and vice versa. They were hostile, even though they had similar beliefs, and they were all holding out for some sort of Messiah. So where does Jesus go in John chapter 4? Samaria, of course. Why? Because he asked the father, where are you working? And that day he was working at midday in a little well out in Samaria. So he walks there. Took a bit of a, a random route to go where he was wanting to go because he knew God was working. And he goes to this lady, and this lady's standing at a well, and he asks for some water, and, uh, and they had this conversation. Eventually the conversation goes like this, and, and he says, if you knew who you were speaking to, you wouldn't just have water from me. You, you, you'd ask for living water, and, and out of you could flow streams of living water. You don't even know who you're talking to. She goes, well, let me go call my husband. And, you know, he says, go call your husband. Jesus says, go call your husband. She says, I can't. And he goes, I know you can't. You've, you're on a fourth husband. She goes, how did you know that? Suddenly this, this, this observation turns into revelation. Her eyes widened. There's observation, there's revelation, the father's at work, and she goes back, and eventually the story goes that this lady gets radically, radically transformed and saved by, this, by the Messiah, Jesus. And, and what's, what's most amazing is that it turns into a beautiful revival. She goes back to the town, and she tells everybody, and that's probably one of the first evangelists, the first new churches that's planted in the, in the early church. Is from a lady from Samaria who was meant to be the enemy of the Jews, suddenly receives the love of God. Hey, where, where's God working in your life? Love this uh, quote by Frederick Buchner. He says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. Your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's almost like two circles that just overlap in a small little area. And your gladness, your passions, your giftings, the things that you uniquely are good at. Some people look at you and you go, how can you be so good at that stuff? You just, the way you write, you write amazingly. I think of Karen Fisser, you just write. She just, just out of her comes writing. She's so good at researching and writing. Some of you are so amazing at mercy. Jason, so good with words. Um, just amazing. People all over the show, I just think of so good, so gifted. And, the, and people look at you and go, how do you do that so easily? I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's just what I enjoy. And that overlaps with the deep hunger of the world, the brokenness, the pain, the devastation, the corruption. Some of you are just amazing at being patient. You just love listening to people. You love just sitting there. Do you know that that's, that's a gift to be able to sit and listen and absorb people's stuff? Maybe Jesus is saying your, your simple capacity, your deep passion to sit and love people could be connected to helping people through some of their darkest hours. Your deep passion and the world's deep hunger. When those two things meet, man, it's a beautiful thing. 
Nix and I have probably always had a bit of a passion to plant church. We love communicating the gospel and building community. We could do that in our sleep. Honestly, we love it. Our home is a train station, and we love making sense of the gospel and Jesus Christ to people. Uh, you kind of can't stop it. From the day I became a Christian, and I'm not trying to uh, blow my own trumpet here, it, my house, we started almost a, a week after getting saved, my buddy said, we should start something. So we started something, and, and our home, within a couple of weeks, had this like Bible study. We didn't, have, we didn't even know what church was about at that stage. We had this Bible study going. We would, uh, there was one Bible amongst the seven of us, um, and there was one Hillsong CD that we also had. From, uh, it, we had to blow the dust off it to get it kind of working, and, and that's how we started. But, but we just had this gathering capacity to build community and read the Bible, and this thing grew and grew and grew, and, and there were students from all over Cape Tech and other places who were pitching up in our home. Our neighbors were going, what are you guys doing down there? We're like, we're not entirely sure. We just got people who keep coming on a Monday night, and we read the Bible, and we pray, and God seems to be doing something. It's always been kind of normal to just build community and reach people. Where does the hunger of the world meet with your passion? Start to look around. Do you know that there's not a person in this room who doesn't have some stuff that you are incredibly good at? You know that? Next, you're an amazing connector with people. Amazing at, at, at connecting people. Oh, sorry, that's not Nick's, Brad. I thought it was your wife. She's in Kids Rock. I'll tell her afterwards. <laughs> Tashis, your gift of music. I actually was praying this morning, thinking about you, and I thought, this is not just for here. Your music is going to be used way beyond just here. This is simple for you. You make music in your sleep. You wake up with new songs. Those songs are going to be amazing healing balm for the world. Prophetic gift to people. Justin, you organize stuff in your sleep. You've got the capacity to just make things orderly and work out. You look at stuff and it's all messed and Justin comes there and next thing it's organized. The world needs organizers. You've got stuff inside of you. The world is needing you. Third and quick question to answer. Who's the father giving you? Not just where is he working, but who's he giving you? Verse 21, the son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. I love John chapter three. John the Baptist, his ministry is shrinking. This church is getting smaller. Nobody, no pastor wants a shrinking church. It's not ideal. But it can happen, and it's not always your fault. And he's got this shrinking church, and it's not ideal. And, it's, and, it, and it says in, in verse 26 and 27, everyone's going to him, referring to the fact that all John's followers are going to Jesus. And Jesus has got this growing ministry, and John's got a shrinking one. By the way, we all have moments like that. Something just starts to shrink, and you're like, oh, Maybe it's the bank balance. Maybe it's your sense of influence. Maybe you're watching other people doing better at work and you're going, ah. Oh. And John has an, a, an answer to people asking him, aren't you stressed that everyone's going over to him? Hope I can answer this if this ever happens to me. To this, John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. He's going, I don't want what God's not giving me. All I want is to be faithful with what God is giving me. It's amazing. Just think about it for a moment. You have stuff that the Father is going to give you. Heaven has a plan for your afternoon today. There are people that God is calling you to love. 
There are ways that you are going to be able to obey by letting him form you, by calling him to love others, to actually maybe just receive his love, whatever it may be. But don't get caught up in what you don't have. We live in a world of comparison that says, I don't have this. I wish I had that. And you know what you miss out on is what you do have and what heaven is giving you. And so you miss out on the story that God has right in front of you. Who is the Father giving you? This week, I, I didn't have as radical of a week as last week. I had so many stories. I was like, what am I going to say to these people this week? I, last week, there were so many coffee shop stories. I'm like, this is, I'm a failure of a preacher this week. Until I reflected, and I did think, I do have a story, actually. I've started a new project in my workshop. And, I, you know, my workshop is my garage. And I leave my garage half open because it gets hot in there in the summer. And what's ended up happening is that my neighbors walk past and... and they kind of poke their head in and go, what are you doing? Lo and behold, one of my neighbors took a particular liking to the project. And after about five or six days, and coming back from church on Sunday, and my garage is open because I've given him my remote, and he's actually working in the house with none of us there. <laughs> I found myself going, who's the father giving me? <laughs> I've given my remote. I've trusted my neighbor with our home. And he's spending so much time here, and I need his expertise. He's got something I don't have, but he's helping me. Maybe I could just go, oh, I'm so glad he's helping me with something I don't have. Or I go, maybe the Father's giving me someone, someone to love, to bless. I'm not, I'm not turning this into some like cookie cutter, you know, at the end he must pray the sinner's prayer and come to church next week. But I hope something like that happens. I do hope that he comes to faith. He doesn't know Jesus. He needs Jesus. And he is the only way, the truth, and the life. And I want this man to know Jesus. At the end of uh, one of our long stints of a couple of days, because I'm working, I'm going, you can, you're welcome, because he's on holiday. And one day he walked out and he said, oh, by the way, I'm coming to your church sometime. Yeah. Hello? <laughs> it went off. I heard myself and... It's good news. I haven't done anything particular. I just sense God's giving me him. There's lots of neighbors. Over the season and in the course of life, I feel God's called us to love and to give special energy to. You can't love everyone. You can't do everything. But ask, where is the Father working? Who is he giving you? What is he up to? I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I'm going to suggest three attitudes that we can move into this week with that will help us in the way of Jesus, that'll help us move into this wonderful gift of obedience. Remember, we're going to ask these questions, what's the Father doing? Where's the Father doing it, and who's the Father giving you? And we're going to have three attitudes. Thanks to John Tyson for helping me with these things. Firstly, we're going to have an attitude of faith. We're going to act as if God is telling the truth. Act as if the life of Jesus is actually the kind of life that you could emulate in some way or shape or form. Walk into, into the room as though Jesus really is with you, that the Father does have a plan. We're going to actually go by faith. We're going to trust that we will be able to both proclaim and demonstrate the goodness of God. I spoke about John Wimber last week. John, John Wimber and, and his wife Carol had this argument. She was, she was all about proclamation. You must explain the gospel. He said, no, it's all about demonstration. And they say that's why they were such a power couple. Proclamation matched with demonstration makes you a beautiful expression of Jesus. Someday you need to explain it. Some days you need to reveal it. But trust, work, walk into the room with faith. Secondly, follow the promptings of the Spirit. 
Again, John Wimber, he says the promptings of the Spirit are like the gentlest tickling of a feather on the soul. It's gentle, but you just, some things come to life. 2D turns into 3D. Black and white turns into color in some area, some way, and you go, God, I think you might be at work there. Got lots of neighbors, but I think you're at work with this one. I wanna, I'm gonna have them over. Follow the promptings of the Spirit. And then thirdly, most challengingly, obey no matter the cost. Obey no matter the cost. Because let me tell you, this week there will be some moments that God is gonna call you to love, to move, to act, to do. Remember, it's in your obeying you're gonna grow some understanding. Can't remember where it is in Jude, but Jude speaks about in your proclaiming of the gospel, you will begin to get a deeper understanding of the gospel. We would love it the other way around. Just, just give me, you know, we want to barter with God. I'll do this if you do that. God, I will go over and introduce myself to that person if a feather falls down on my shoulder now. Okay, cool, moving on. She doesn't need love. No feather. What about just asking the question, what's the worst that could happen this week? If you go love people in the name of Jesus. In every situation, you go, God, are you, are you pushing me across the room, calling me to do something? Ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? You fill the world with a little more encouragement, with a little more love. You, you, you cross the room in a world that never crosses the room. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, you pray for someone. Generally, I've never prayed for someone, not in all my life, and I pray for a lot of people that they say, I wish you'd never done that. I really, really wish you'd never prayed for me. Every single person says, thank you. Even the most hostile. I think some lovely acts of generosity, not towards our church, from our church towards the city, are gonna just emerge this week. Some of us are going to look in our wallet and go, it would be easy to give a five, but how about a 50 or a 100 or a 200? Not, but thoughtfully, carefully, not just throwing money around, asking, how do I love? How do I bless? How do I care? Let's stand. If you wouldn't mind, I just want to... Obedience is about walking with Jesus. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. But he said before that, he said, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. You may be brand new to church and this whole thing is a bit new to you, no pressure. Those of us who are comfortable, put your hands out and just as a symbol of saying, I need you, God. I want to obey. I want to trust you. I want to walk with you. Put your hands out and invite the power of the Holy Spirit. Age-old prayer. We're going to pray lots in this church. Come, Holy Spirit. You pray that prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. And maybe after that, some commitments to obedience. No matter the cost. Reputation. Finances. We want to obey you, Jesus. like Jesus, some of us know it's been stale and boring. He's saying, trust me. Jump off. You're connected. Trust me. Obey. Go love.
the adventure of love. You have something the world needs badly. Go love them. Some fresh ministries are birthing right now. New and beautiful things starting in your heart. Some of us, we've got to actually start the journey of following Jesus. You've got to first receive His grace. You've got to realize you're forgiven for not following Him all your life. That's why He died on the cross, to make it possible. But you're not just forgiven, you're welcomed in by His love. You need to say, yes, I receive your love. I submit to your amazing Lordship. And I want to start to follow you. Some of us, this is a first time prayer. You need to say yes to following Jesus. It's the way of life. Trust Him. Your, your heart's beating. Your ears are feeling hot. You're going, this is my day. It's my day to start this thing. Some of you are coming home for the second time or whatever it may be. Some it's a first time. You're feeling like, whew, God's calling me. He's calling you to adventure you've never imagined, a way that you could never have dreamt. If that's you, just say, here I am, Lord. Say that under your breath, here I am, Lord. So much I don't know, but I receive your love and your forgiveness, and I choose to follow you. I choose to follow you. We'll work out the details in time to come, but here I am. Have my life. Have it all. I'm yours. You're mine. I look forward to working out what that exactly looks like. But I trust you. Let's sing a fresh declaration of worship and a hunger to obey as we do this together. It's our story.